0: Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you are looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. Many Roman battles were won simply by the Roman army's ability to outmarch their enemy. To outmarch their enemy. They just... You ever seen a a sporting event where in the fourth quarter, um, you know, basketball or football game where the people just kind of get tired on the other team and they lose their lead and then the other team is more conditioned, they're better athletes, they're well conditioned and the other team is less conditioned and they overrun them. This is what's happening because the, um, the, the Roman soldiers were not only required to do that once, this was a repetitive thing that they did, marching and running and making sure that they are... Um, continuing that their endurance um, up over their enemies next on your notes these shoes that they're wearing called caligae were heavy-duty sandal boots with nails nails in the sole of the shoe to grip the ground okay think modern-day cleats so what they're trying to do is they're trying to grip the ground they're not running on concrete or asphalt they're running on stone grass or dirt Okay? So they need this extra support, like you think soccer player, football player, if they're going to cut without slipping. They're going to pivot without falling down. They need something to grip on the bottom of their shoes. Okay? The ancient author Juvenile, next line in your notes, that's not the rapper, that's an author, um, warned against uh, antagonizing a Roman soldier as he may retaliate by kicking the antagonist's shins, leaving a wound. You ever had a little kid kicking the shins? This is much different. So, um, you ever seen those, those soldiers in Great Britain? They have to stand there no matter what you do to them. You know, like people like, you know, mess with them or try to tell a joke or do like a backflip in front of them or something, trying to get them to smile and they can't move. Yeah, the Roman army uh, did not have that level of uh, expectation on them. If you mess with them, he would take the bottom of that shoe that had the nails in it and just kick you in the shins and be like, don't mess with me no more. And you would say, yes, sir. Can I have another and move on, right? <clears throat> the top, um, let's see here, the, the, the sound of the belt clanging, next line in your shoes, uh, in your notes, <laughs> next line in your shoes, yay. Um, I didn't get ahead of myself. The sound of the belt clanging and the shoes clacking on the ground was said to announce the coming of the soldiers. The sound of the belt clanging and the shoes clacking on the ground was said to announce the coming of the soldiers. Okay? So these guys were very familiar with this sound. Very familiar with the sound. The, the, these shoes were also, they were not closed, they enclosed on the shoes. They were made with straps instead of like a solid piece and it allowed the shoe to dry quicker from sweat, water, rain, mud, or if you're running through like small creeks or puddles of water, it allowed it to to dry out quicker and so the soldiers would get less blisters. So you can tell here that the design of the shoe and the design of what they're using has gone through a lot of thought. There's a lot of thought into this because they want the soldier to be unhindered when they're walking. So, wow. Why would Paul associate the good news of the gospel with shoes I thought about this for for a while probably longer than I should have because it's kind of how my brain works why didn't he you know talk about the um, the good news of the gospel like with the helmet like why did he pick the shoes and then there's a spiritual application and some physical applications that he's trying to mirror for these people that we're gonna get into so letter A in your notes the first reason is because becoming a believer in Jesus requires action it requires action how do you know that Matt Romans 10 13 through 17 it's Paul talking to the church in Rome okay for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him And how can they hear about them unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? This is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. Not everyone welcomes the good news, for Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from hearing, that is, hearing the good news about Christ. The first thing he's obviously doing here, Paul is making a reference to the Old Testament prophet Isaiah saying, Look, this Old Testament prophet, he already said it for us. How beautiful are the feet of them who bring good news. Why is he talking about the feet of those who bring good news? Because in that time, there's very little technological advance. There's no electricity, there's no, there's no way to call, to email, to text, to fax somebody if you're alive in the 90s, you know, like faxing people stuff. Um, if you don't know what that is, it's not fax, it's F- like, like, that's fax, like true, it's like F-A-X, like facsimile. And just forget, you don't even know how to fax anymore, it's just a terrible thing. But there's no technological advancements here, and so Paul, uh, Paul's saying you have to physically go and tell these people. If the message of Jesus is residing in you you literally had to get up and walk yourself run yourself personally take you your own person into the place to deliver the good news of Jesus and he's saying Isaiah's already lined this out people who bring good news yes how beautiful are the feet of them they took the effort to come that's the first reason he's doing this but then Paul asks a general question in this passage, how in the world will unbelievers, those lost in their sin, the ones living without faith in Christ, how will they hear the good news of the gospel? Somebody has to get up and take the message to them. This is implied for people like us who are believers in Jesus. We are not just supposed to go, I'm good with Jesus, now I'm going to go lay down. As Roe would say, you're done. No, no, you're you're not done. You're not done. There's more to do besides just getting, you know, becoming a, a believer and then being finished. You have to get up and move forward and take the good news that changed your life to other people. That is a expectation of believers and followers of Jesus. So this is Paul telling us to do that. Let's level up real quick. How do you level up over Paul? You go to Jesus himself. Matthew twenty eight sixteen through 20. Let's look at what Jesus tells all his disciples um, right before he ascends into heaven. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee. There's 11, not 12, because in this time Judas, uh, Judas is already dead. The 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him. But some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven on earth. We'll just stop right there for a second. Imagine Jesus rolling through and be like, I got all the authority. And I'm about to tell you what we're going to do with this authority. What are we doing? We kick in the devil's butt today. We're going to go, you know, we're going to go gospel gangster on somebody. What are we doing what, with all this authority? We got the, you got the authority. We're rolling with you. What are we doing? Here's what he says. Um, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit teach these new disciples to obey all the commands i have given you and be sure of this i am with you always even to the end of the age if i'm one of the disciples i'm going you got all the power all the authority and this is what we're doing why don't we just take over rome and set you up and be yeah let's run this sucker from here on out because i would be thinking like the disciples were thinking Instead of how Jesus was thinking, he's like, oh, the authority is bigger than just who's running the show right now. The authority, I get to determine based upon who has faith in me, who goes to heaven, who goes to hell, who is reconciled with my father, who spends eternity away from him. And that, my friends, is true authority. He gets to set the playbook. He gets to set the rules of how this thing is going to work going forward. And if you have faith in him, you're in next on your notes the command of jesus to his disciples was to take the gospel the good news to the world was to take it physically take the message of the gospel now in our culture um they have they break everybody down into people groups it's it's part of the marketing strategy of most big companies and this marketing idea has kind of siphoned down into our culture and everybody is a group, and they give you a name. And so you may not know this, but if you are someone who believes in going and telling others about Jesus, this is what they call you from a marketing, political opponent, or a political approach standpoint, okay? The next on your notes: know. the word evangelical. Evangelical. References someone who evangelizes or preaches the good news of Jesus to the world. The reason this is important for you to understand when it comes to the shoes that a soldier wears is these shoes represent the gospel, the good news of being at peace with God. This is the foundation. And we are supposed to go take this message to everyone. In a couple of weeks, we're going to sit here and, and tell you, Nina and I, and probably a couple other people will be involved as well. We're going to tell you about what's coming later this year for RCC. There is going to be a concerted effort to take the gospel. Physically take the gospel to the people who need it. Now, we're going to do that in a number of ways. But let me, give you, let me ask you a quick question. You drive down Bell Road, not Greenway, because it's under construction. It'll take you an hour to get home. But if you go down Bell, you'll be all right. If you go down Bell Road on the way home tonight, you will not drive more than a few hundred yards without running into somebody who's homeless. And if if the person that you see doesn't have any money or doesn't have the means to generate money or the means to generate anything to trade for food, and they are hungry and without food, how are they going to eat? Nobody knows? Somebody has to bring them food. Somebody has to pay the price for them and then bring them the food. In the same way, the people who are living in darkness, living away from God, how are they going to know if no one tells them? And how, is no one, how, is, uh, how are they going to be told if no one is sent? We are the ones who in our little world, is going, we're, gonna go, we're, gonna, we're being sent. And we're going to go we're going to obey the direction of god and take the message of the gospel to them we'll do it in different avenues it'll look a little bit different there's going to be some outreach efforts involved in meeting the needs of some some people who are struggling in our city but that's always going to be an avenue to give them the gospel why because we're supposed to take it to them how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news the reason that Paul is even talking about this piece of armor. why I talk about your shoes is because it is the gospel of peace. You get peace, and you are at peace with the God instead of having him wrath, his wrath be poured out upon you. Next on in your notes: Jesus did not command his disciples to simply make converts. He commanded them to make disciples. So what is a convert? I looked up the word for you in the the original language of the Bible. Um, Next on your notes, it means to turn to the worship of the true God. To turn to the worship of the true God. It also means to cause to return or bring back to the love and obedience of God. If someone you know used to serve God and has turned their back on the faith, they've walked away, they've apostatized, They can be converted back to God. This is clear in this definition. Don't give up on those people. We are to make converts, yes, turn away from the worship of self, worship of other things, worship of the culture, worship of of popularity, whatever that is. Turn away from that and then turn towards God. So that's a convert. But we're not supposed to just be like, hey, bro, um, you, uh, let me pray with you. Let me tell you about the Jesus. Okay, turn away from your sins. Good. You're all good, and then go back because he has no idea what to do next. Got to make disciples. So the definition of a disciple in this, in this passage here, when he said go and make disciples, next line's in your notes, to be a disciple of one, to follow his precepts and instructions, to make a disciple, to teach to instruct. So a disciple is a follower and a learner of one. Now about 10 years ago I heard an interview from a Catholic priest who was asked, he worked a lot with uh, the young, younger people of that generation, and he, they asked him, can you explain the faith and the belief of the young people you're dealing with right now? Can you explain that to me what they believe? And he said, sure. They take the life of Buddha. They take the pluralism of Hinduism. We're just cool with all the gods. They take the teachings of Jesus. They put that in a blender, top it off with a couple of shots of vodka, mix that up and that's what they believe. There are people in this room that uh, he was talking about you. That's what the generation believes They took, not they became not just learners or students of one, like the definition says. They became learners and students of many people, combined them all together, and said, "Hopefully, this is going to be good at the end." That's Hinduism, my friend. That's our Christianity. So we have to go and make disciples, not just converts. Letter B. The gospel gives us a firm foundation. The gospel gives us a firm foundation. Matthew seven twenty four through 27, the words of Jesus. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. Yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Remember we talked about these, these sandal boots that the, that, the, that the soldiers wore had nails in them. What was the purpose of the nails? Anybody? To what? You can get loud, just tell me, somebody. To what? To grip the floor? Okay, great. To grip where they're standing so they don't fall. Right, to grip. To establish the foundation of the soldier. That's what they're there for. Another reason Paul is, is comparing the gospel to these shoes, the gospel of peace to these shoes, is the gospel in and of itself gives you a firm foundation, a sure footing to stand on. Why? Next sign in your notes. Paul instructs us to stand our ground. Let's go back to the passage we read at the beginning, Ephesians 6. Let's just read 13 and 14. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be what? Standing firm. Stand your ground. What does it mean when you stand your ground? Anybody? Don't tell your friend. Tell me. A little bit louder. Anybody? To what? You don't move. You stand there. I'm about to get animated with y'all today. So you stand there, okay? And when someone tries to resist you, you don't move. How do you stand your ground for the gospel? You present the gospel. This is the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to heaven but by him. And somebody comes to oppose you and say, no, there are other ways to get there. There are other religions. All these things are just kind of like the same thing. They're like 98% all the same thing. Will Smith, they're like 98% all the same thing. And they all kind of lead to the same place. This is categorically false. It's just about love, man. They are not. Islam, you don't even know if you made it to heaven after you die. There's no way to know. Hinduism, there's no way to know if you made it. You just hope that your good deeds, when you get up there to the gods, they, they either rock, paper, scissors, or throw the dice, or look whatever, look at your life and go, hey, um, yeah, he was kind of cool. He goes in. She, nah, she didn't do that. She was rude to her mom, so she can't go in because you're rude to your mom. Now go. You're, you're kicked out. <clears throat> there's no way to tell. This is why another one of the benefits of Christianity is that you absolutely know with faith in him and confessing out of your mouth that your sins are paid for and your future is secure. So you get to walk with a little bit more foundation and confidence than everybody else around you. There should be a little bit of swagger walking when you walk because you know that you have have eternity secured for you if you're a believer. And you are not standing on that because you think this was a good idea or somebody convinced you or you went to a conference or to a Sunday school class where someone talked really good and you're like, I think I'm going to believe that. No, you've got the gospel to stand there on, attached to you, gripping you to the ground to produce a firm foundation for you we will face opposition next on your notes and spiritual headwinds whose purpose is to prevent us from standing confident in the gospel that opposition is supposed to rock you let me say it a different way it's supposed to rock your faith it's supposed to stagger you a little bit have you ever been in a moment where it seemed like every problem in the world or everything that could go wrong went wrong right at the same time and it was just like, bam, everything came on at once? You ever experienced anything like that? Have you experienced the opposite where... One little problem kept nagging and nagging and nagging and growing and just a little bit at a time, and you can never get rid of it, can never get rid of that, that thing that's irritating you, you can never get rid of that thing that's challenging your faith, you can never get rid of that doubt, and it just grinds on you month after month after month to the point you're just weary of it. Have you experienced both of those things? In those, If you haven't, let me tell you what's coming. You're going to have moments where, when everything collapses in on you at once, or you're going to sit and say, "Is this what we're doing?" Okay, so I committed to God, and now all this—this this is what I get for submitting my life. This is this is what I get. How do I know that's coming? Because Nina and I have had those questions privately and together. Is this what this is? This one little thing will not go away. It just gets worse and worse and worse. And every week, every month, there's a new story, a new level of how bad this problem seems to get. There's a new level of of irritation that's just grinding me down to nothing. Is this what this is about? I'm just going to walk this way and be like, put on the face and be like, hey, brother, I'm dying inside, but you'll never know because I got this smile right here. Because you will hit a moment of waiting, of loss, of begging God to answer your prayer and having that confidence that the Spirit of God gives you that your prayer will be answered. But you're looking at the reality of it every single day and wondering, I know what he said, but I don't the reality and what he said is not yet matched up. This is, uh, this is, I'm just making this up. You will hit that point at some time in your walk as a believer. It could be a catastrophic loss. It could be through, um, th- through a loss of a job, a friend. It doesn't matter what it is. At some point in time, you will go. I mean, is this real? And in those moments, you have been given something to stand on that's the truth of the gospel did he die yep on that cross yep was he buried and resurrected and my faith in him is the thing that gets me to heaven and reconciles me to God something that I couldn't do on my own yep that's the foundation we start from. When we take those shoes off and try to stand on our own reasoning, our own understanding, uh, lean not unto your own understanding, right, Old Testament guys, in all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. When you lean on your own understanding, you take those shoes off and try to be like, I'm going to stand here on a slippery slope on my own effort and hope that I don't fall down because I'm tired of wearing these shoes. Why? It hurts a little bit. What does Jesus tell us about this? Matthew 24, 9 through 14. You will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. He's talking to his disciples. You'll be hated all over the world because you're my followers, and many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come next on your notes jesus is talking about the end times in this passage but there's an additional application for us to not allow the hardships of life to end in us walking away from our faith in christ one of the reasons paul used these shoes that grip the ground as an example for the gospel of peace is because when you are walking through hell on earth the gospel is the thing That will ground you and keep you stable. Does it mean that I have to, okay, I'm gonna hold on all the way to the end. And if, you know, if I live my whole life and then those last 10 seconds I have a, a doubt and then I die, I'm going to hell? No. It means don't cash in your faith when things get hard. People made fun of me. Don't like it when I'm not invited to the party because they don't think I'm that guy anymore. I'm not that girl anymore. Um, you will be persecuted, arrested, and killed to his disciples, and we're worried about the invitation. What do we got to do? Stand firm on the gospel that's been given to us. Let her see. Paul instructs us to be ready. <clears throat> I'll dive into this a little bit further in the, later on this year in a series we do later on the Bible. But um, There's a secondary reading for Ephesians 6.15. It means that the translators, when they translated it out in the NLT, said it could be read like this or like this. If you're on the Bible version app, you can actually hit the button and it'll, it'll give it to you. Or if you have a physical NLT Bible, it's in the notes at the bottom. But let me read to you the other way that this scripture can be phrased. For shoes put on the readiness to preach the good news of peace with God. It's not just put on the gospel. That's true. So you're prepared. But it's put on the readiness to preach the good news of peace with God. How do we, next line in your notes, get ready to preach the good news of peace? We prepare ahead of time. We prepare ahead of time. Let's look at a different disciple, Peter, in 1 Peter three fourteen through 16. Let's see what he says here. Even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it do this in a gentle and respectful way keep your conscience clear then if people speak against you they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to christ colossians 4 5 and 6. let's go back to paul this is him writing again be wise in the way you act towards outsiders these are non-believers make the most of every opportunity let your conversation be always full of grace seasoned with salt so, you may know how to answer everyone. So, how do we get prepared? We are going to take the gospel to other places, we are going to be ready. That's the other reading of this passage is we need to be ready to share the gospel or tell what God did for us. When other people ask, when they look at our life, we're going to tell them about what Jesus did for, for us. How do we get ready for that? And there's next four little uh, bullet points in your notes. Ready? We always keep in mind the first one, the gospel. The gospel. I'm not going to do this right now, but how you know you may think i know what the gospel is so if we stopped and paused the service right here and said i'm going to give you the mic and i want you to explain to everybody in this room what the gospel is did the confidence just go away i know what it is how you explain it i don't know okay we've got to work on you explaining it well you might be afraid of of you know standing in front of people and public speaking if I told you to just turn to the person next to you and say in like two minutes let me explain to you what the gospel is are you able to explain what the gospel the good news of Jesus really is without going can I call my pastor no that's not prepared you got to be ready the second thing we need to keep in mind the way we lived before salvation. Now, you might be thinking I'm talking to all the party people in the house who like kind of like, you know, went down the road and were like all the substances and all the things and relationships and tried all the stuff they are doing it. Yeah, that, that, that is the one way that you could have lived before Jesus. But for the rest of us uh, people who are too scared to do that, how is, what was the condition of your heart? Well, Matt, I didn't go do all those bad things right. Did, were you full of jealousy at any, point, at any point in your life? Envy, hatred, pride, arrogance. Was that, in, as, was that any of that in, inside of you? Yes, it was. I guarantee it was. That's what I'm talking about. Remember what it was like before Jesus. And the third thing we got to keep in mind is how we met Jesus. How we met Jesus. And the last thing is how we have changed. Look, we hear this word in church a lot. And you hear it in different ways. And it's where people are, the, the, the pastor, the minister, the leader, somebody is telling you, you got to witness. You got to witness the people about the Lord. You got to witness the people about Jesus. You got to witness. And there are some well-meaning meaning people, pastors, ministers, ministries, who have developed a way that you're supposed to do this okay you start at this scripture in Romans and you go to this one you go to Galatians you go back over here to John you do all these things and they train people how to witness but in a court of law an attorney doesn't train a witness he prepares them you are going to be asked this question respond here's some information for you to respond you're going to be asked this question here's a way that you can respond that is preparing there's no training in your witness why because if I'm training you to witness then I am probably manipulating your story a little bit if I'm preparing you to witness all I want you to do is tell what you saw that's what a witness is Next on your notes, a witness is simply a person who explains what they saw. Let me give you a churchy example of this. Uh, I don't know anything about that man, Jesus, but I once was blind and now I see. I don't know where he came from. I don't know what his teachings are. I've heard some things about him, but I was blind. He made the mud, put it on my face. I rinsed it off and came back out here and now I can see. How does all that work theologically? What does that mean with your stance on X, Y, and Z? I don't know, man. I haven't figured all that out yet. I'm telling you, I was this way. I met Jesus in this capacity, and now I'm this way. If you are struggling a little bit, like, man, how should I, uh, what's a good way for me to do this? For me to kind of get an example of what a good witness is like, I want to encourage you to find I am second online. I am second. They have a whole bunch of they have a direct website, they're on YouTube, a lot of different places, and people who are have their life transformed by Jesus sit down in a white chair and in a dark room and they just for five or six minutes just tell their story about how they were, how they met Jesus, and now how everything is different. And that, my friends, is how you witness. Are you prepared the shoes, the the readiness to preach the gospel to witness, to tell what happened to you when you interacted with Jesus. I'm not the greatest biblical scholar. I don't understand some of the things that, that that theologians talk about. I can't recite to you in order all the books of the Bible. I don't have, you know, all the songs. I got I am a C, I am a CH. I don't even know the rest of the song, whatever it is. Um, I, I got that down. I don't, I don't have a lot, but I know that this was me. Jesus came in and now this is me and my life is his and I'm just pursuing him. That's a witness. That's all you got to do so how do we put on the shoes of readiness last little four lines here in your notes we prepare to be a witness we prepare to be a witness we rely on the gospel rely on the gospel we stand firm in what we believe and we live a life full of god's peace Now, as I was doing my study for this message and I was getting into this, there looks like a lot of physical interaction here. Like I'm going to tell another person about Jesus. I need to physically get up and go take the message of the the light of the gospel to the dark places. I need to go to the people who are lost and say, here's how I was found. There's a lot of physical work that's done in this, but in the passage, it talks about we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against evil rulers of the unseen world, against spiritual wickedness and and, author- and authoritative places. And so as I began to sit and listen and research and read and pray about this, somebody uh, in my study, um, a scholar of the Old Testament said something that I was, I was floored by the simplicity of and it, And as I went back and studied, I found it um, to be true. Evangelizing the world and taking the gospel to the dark places is spiritual warfare. It is spiritual warfare. Why? Because the enemy that is influencing people to do what they want Loses the ability when that person says, no, I give my life to Jesus. I submit to him and becomes their adversary. When we take the gospel, when we prepare, stand firm, found on a firm foundation of the gospel of Christ and we prepare beforehand knowing what the gospel is being relying on jesus and his spirit and taking our witness about what jesus did for us to other places it is one of the greatest acts of spiritual warfare the church can engage in do you want to kick the devil's butt don't just yell at him in your prayer time Don't just scream at adverse spirits to God. Go do the work that God has asked us to do and take the darkness to light. In the same way that we do at a Christmas candlelight service, one person lights their candle to another to another, start lighting the wick of the unsaved around you. Use that as the way you fight. And then, Will be causing great damage to the enemy. We've got to put our shoes on because we're about to go somewhere.